uh, different angle. Uh, we'll be looking at the whole chapter, but uh, for sake of time, we'll read from uh, verse 13, Romans 4, verse 13, uh, and we'll read down to the end. Uh, Romans 4 and uh, verse 13. For the promise that he that is Abraham should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect, because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it, and the, it is in italics, but it refers to righteousness, therefore righteousness is of faith that it might be by grace the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him who belie- whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth or maketh alive the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, uh, that is, God had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that righteousness was imputed to him, but for us, or for our sakes also, to whom righteousness shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Uh, Last time we looked at Romans, uh, I gave four reasons there on the first side of the sheet why the Old Testament scriptures are important for us. We may be New Testament believers, but it's surprising how many Christians, and uh, I'm not being condemnatory, people who are genuinely saved, the number of churches I've preached in, I don't preach in as many churches now because we don't have a car, but I've lost count of the number of occasions where people have said to me, uh, we, we don't know when we last heard a sermon on the Old Testament. Now, I, I will admit that uh, probably I'm the other extreme. Somebody has said that the Old Testament is three quarters of the Bible. So, over uh, a period of time, if you're going to be consistent, I suppose you could argue you, could, you should be giving three sermons on the Old Testament to everyone on the New. But uh, in most churches, it's probably four out of four. Uh, uh, I'm not being condemnatory because probably I'm nearer four out of four on the Old Testament. Uh, but uh, uh, we looked at four reasons. They're on the first sheet, three of them. Uh, uh, two are from Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul, right in the Old Testament, says that the Old Testament was written that we, and he's speaking to New Testament believers, the Corinthians, should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. We have the same sinful nature. We are subject to the same temptations, uh, and the fact that we may live in an age of grace doesn't make us stronger spiritually naturally. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed 
lest he fall. Uh, interestingly, the verse that I just quoted, take heed lest he fall, also comes in 1 Corinthians 10. You notice uh, where uh, uh, the verse uh, uh, that we should not lust uh, comes. Uh, but also in the same chapter in 1 Corinthians 10, a second re reason why the Old Testament is written, is written for our admonition. It's written to warn us. It's written to uh, point, the, uh, give the signposts that, uh, that might tell us that we are going off track spiritually. Uh, but then in Romans 15, uh, Paul says, the Old Testament was written that we might have hope. Uh, there were believers in the Old Testament. We're going to look at Abraham later. Uh, they laid hold of the promises of God. Uh, think of Hebrews 11, where uh, uh, the writer says, Abraham, Jacob, uh, Isaac and Jacob, uh, Abraham left the land. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't inherit one square inch of it in his lifetime. The only land in Canaan that he owned, he had to buy a, bu a burial plot. But uh, Hebrews says these died in faith. They saw the promises afar off and they embraced them. They were persuaded of them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. And in a sense... We are in the same position. Uh, how many uh, of you may have been mocked because pe people in the world have said, well, because you became a Christian, uh, you gave up this job or that job, or you wouldn't bend the rules, uh, and you've lost out financially. Uh, but what does it matter? Uh, Moses counted the treasures of Egypt as nothing compared with the reproach of identifying them with the Messiah. Because Hebrews 11 says he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He still hasn't had that full reward. Uh, not on earth, but one day he will. Uh, but there's a fourth reason, uh, and this might surprise some people. The Old Testament was written, and we should study it, because it tells us how we can be right before God. Uh, we'll come back to Abram in a moment, but if we uh, reread uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 22 says, righteousness, uh, 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 Abram's faith was counted to him for righteousness. But notice verse 23. Paul says, we have the account of Abraham. It was not written for his sake only, but for our sakes. If we want to know, if a, uh, an unsaved person wants to know how to be righteous before God, uh, Paul, uh, and when Paul was writing these words, much of the New Testament hadn't been written. God uh, recorded Abram's experience that you and I might know how to be right before God. Because he goes on to say in verse uh, 24, it was written for our sakes also, to whom uh, righteousness will be reckoned if we believe on him that raised up Jesus from uh, the dead. Uh, but let's come back to, to, uh, to verse 1 of that chapter. Um, maybe we should, uh, uh, first of all, uh, read uh, in chapter uh, 3, verse 24. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 24, Paul writes... We are justified freely by God's grace 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, if that's a hard word, just write in the margin of your Bibles, a mercy seat, because that's what it means. Uh, uh, God has set forth the Lord Jesus as a mercy seat, and through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. To declare, verse 26, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. Whom does God justify? Whom does God reckon just? Uh, the man that gives his body uh, uh, to be burnt? The one uh, who gives away all his wealth? No. Uh, uh, in, th in this verse it says, God justifies the person who believes in the Lord Jesus. Who believes what about the Lord Jesus? That he's a prophet? That he's a good man? Uh, that he's a worker of miracles? No. Go back to verse 25. God has set forth or presented his son, not simply as a worker of miracles, not as a great teacher, uh, not uh, uh, as a good, compassionate man, uh, and the Lord Jesus is all that. It, God, in order to justify you and me, has set forth his son as the mercy seat. What was the mercy seat? Well, it, it was the lid on the Ark of the Covenant. The high priest went into the Holy of Holies one day uh, in a year, the tenth day of the seventh month, and sprinkled the blood of a substitutionary animal upon the mercy seat. The Israelites deserved to die. They were sinful. But they didn't die. Uh, uh, an animal took their place. Didn't take away their sin, because no animal could ever take away the sin of a, a man, woman, created in the image of God. But God uh, passed over their sin in the light of Calvary. But there's a day coming when not the blood of an animal would be shed in order to satisfy the righteousness of God. The blood of his son uh, uh, was shed, and the Lord Jesus is the mercy seat. And he's the mercy seat, and his blood doesn't cover from sin. It cleanses from sin. It removes the stain. But uh, uh, the Jew would have a problem with that because he would say, well, surely righteousness is, as a, is a result of what you do. A righteous man, uh, a righteous woman, uh, how do you know they're righteous? Well, uh, I suppose you might say they're righteous uh, on the basis of what they do. Uh, and that's true because in one sense, if we look at verse 2 of chapter 4, Paul says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But notice the next words. Not before God. Now, in the epistle to James, Abraham, according to James, was justified by works in the sight of men. But you cannot be justified by works in the sight of God. I'm going to digress slightly. Uh, 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 as some of you know, I know Sarah and Jamie know, I use the Schofield Bible. So in a sense, what I'm going to say, they've got the, they've got the note at the bottom of the margin. But uh, 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 Dr. C.I. Schofield gives a lovely note on uh, that incident in, uh, in Luke uh, chapter 7. You remember, uh, in Luke chapter 7, the Lord Jesus was invited to eat in the house of a Pharisee, 
called Simon. And the meal was interrupted because in Luke chapter 7, uh, a woman in that city, we're not told what city, possibly Capernaum, hearing that Jesus was in the house, she intruded, uh, she uh, disturbed uh, the, the meal, uh, brought an alabaster box of ointment, stood at uh, the feet of the Lord weeping, and began to wash his feet uh, with tears, wiped them with hairs, uh, and anointed them with ointment. Uh, and the Pharisee who had invited the Lord Jesus uh, sees uh, this happening. He says, now I know. This man can't be a prophet because if he was a prophet, he would not have allowed this woman to touch him because he, she, he, she is a sinner. And then Simon had the shock of his life. He hadn't said a word out loud, but he thought plenty. But the Lord Jesus knew what he was thinking and said, Simon, I've got something to, to say to you in Luke 7, verse 40. And Simon says, Master, speak on. And uh, the Lord Jesus tells a parable of a creditor who had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. To put it in context, the word for penny is Roman denarius. Uh, and uh, one denarius was a day's wage. So 500 denarius, you're talking about a year and a half's wages uh, easily. The other only owed a tenth. But neither uh, debtor, uh, the one who owed 500 uh, pence, the other owed 50, neither could pay. And the, the creditor, being a merciful man, writes off the debt of both uh, uh, debtors. And the Lord asks Simon in verse 42, when they had nothing to pay, he frankly, he freely forgave them both. Uh, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And I think Simon realizes the direction this uh, parable is going. Because what a cold answer he gave. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And the Lord says, Simon, you've rightly judged. And he turns to the woman and he says to Simon, and this is the point that uh, C Dr. C.I. Schofield makes. He said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You gave me no water to wash my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You didn't give me the kiss of friendship when I came into your house. But this woman, since the time that I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil, uh, Psalm 23 comes to mind, thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, underline thee, the Lord is talking to Simon, the sins which are many are forgiven. And then he addresses the woman uh, in verse 48. And he said to her, thy sins are forgiven. But notice the difference in the content. He says uh, to the woman in verse 50, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. And Dr. Schofield makes the point that when he's talking to Simon, He's justifying the woman in the eyes of men. 
He's justifying the woman in Simon's eyes by pointing to her works. He says, she kissed me, uh, she washed my feet, he, see, he, he shames Simon, he says, Simon, you didn't do these things and you're a righteous Pharisee. And he justifies this woman because Simon had said in his heart, this woman is a sinner, therefore this man cannot be a prophet. But when he speaks to the woman, he doesn't say you are justified on the basis of your works. He says you are justified, you're forgiven on the basis of your faith. Uh, and there's no contradiction. Uh, Romans 4, verse uh, uh, three says, uh, 2 says, If Abraham was justified by works, he can glory, he can boast in the sight of men, but not in the sight of God. But a Jew would take issue with that, uh, and so, uh, in verse 3, uh, and I put it as a subtitle on side one of the sheet, what set the scripture? That should be our guide uh, for every issue. Uh, what does the scripture say? If it doesn't say it, even if it's tradition, even if it's church tradition, then it should go by the board. And uh, Paul says, concerning being just before God, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, think for a moment of what Abraham could have said, or what a Jew could have said to Abraham. For example, think of Hebrews chapter 11. The first person uh, who is declared to be righteous by faith is Abel. Uh, uh, what we read of Abel in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abel offered uh, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. But Paul doesn't quote Abel, because what would the Jew have said? Ah, Paul, yes, Abel was declared righteous, but he did something. He offered a sacrifice. Paul doesn't quote Noah. He do, uh, if he wrote Hebrews, then he mentions Noah in Hebrews then. And if we think a Jew could have said, Paul, uh, Noah was declared righteous, by faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen it yet, as yet, built an ark to the saving of his household, by which he obtained, wit uh, by which he became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. But Paul doesn't quote Noah because a Jew would have said, ah, well, Noah did something. Noah built an ark, uh, and because he obeyed God, he was declared righteous. No, Paul quotes Abraham. In verse 3, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. What did Abraham do to be righteous? He didn't build an ark like Noah. He didn't build an altar like Abel. Uh, and this is why the Old Testament is supremely important. In Genesis 15, and it's verse 6 is quoted, Abraham says, Lord, I've waited. You said I'm going to be the father of a multitude of nations. I haven't even got one son. And God says, Abraham, come out into the night sky. Look, uh, and I believe, miraculously, God made uh, the light of the millions and millions of stars appear because God said, Abraham, count the stars if you can number them. And Abraham counts and maybe gives up. And God says, Abraham, 
so shall your seed be. Now, what did Abram do? He did nothing except look. And what else did he do? He believed. And God saw the faith in Abram's heart, and God reckoned it to him for righteousness. A Jew would be stumped, because Paul is going back to the father of the Jewish nation. If Abraham was justified by faith and did nothing uh, 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 to merit it, he, couldn't, he didn't build an ark, he didn't build an altar, he didn't do anything else. He looked uh, at the night sky, he counted, and all he had was the word of God. He had to take it on faith or leave it. He couldn't put it to the test. He believed in something that was future that he'd never, ever seen. And in a sense, you and I have done that. We have the record, uh, the New Testament record of what the Lord did and how he died at Calvary. But we weren't there to see it. We take God at his word. We rest our salvation entirely on his word and nothing else. But Paul does something else uh, in verse 5, uh, and uh, the logic of Paul is devastating. I say the logic of Paul. Of course, he's speaking as a man inspired, guided by the Holy Spirit. He passes from Abraham for a moment to David. And in verse 5, he quotes, uh, verse 6, he quotes from David. But in verse 5, he says, To him that does not work, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly. Uh, we'll stop there for a moment. Anyone who believes that they are godly before uh, becoming a, a true Christian will never be justified. God only justifies the ungodly. Uh, we are all ungodly, but it took a lot, some of us a long, long time to realize that we were ungodly, that we were unrighteous. There's none righteous, no, not one. And Paul says, to him that works not, but justifies, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. God looks at our faith. Uh, there's nothing remarkable about our faith. There's nothing meritorious about, about it. You believe somebody who never lets you down. Uh, if you've got a friend or a relative and you know that you, they are trustworthy, it's to their credit that you believe them. It's not to my credit if I believe somebody that is always keeping their word. Uh, and Paul says, to the one that believes that Jesus died in our place, that God might count us righteous, his faith is counted for righteousness. And then verse 6, he says, even as David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes or counts righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. You know, I think uh, a Jewish rabbi, a Pharisee in those days, must have cringed at Paul's use of Scripture because it's unanswerable. Verse 7 is a quotation from what Psalm? 32. Well done, I did say a few weeks ago. And when was it written? What, by whom it was, was it written first? David. On what occasion? 
He was asking for forgiveness, and Andrew was given the occasion. It was as a result of his adultery with Bathsheba and his murder with uh, murder of Uriah. Uh, and uh, I, I, may have men I did mention last time how Nathan the prophet comes to uh, David and, and tells him the story of a, a rich man who had a visitor. And the rich man, instead of killing one of his oxen or his sheep to provide a banquet for this important traveler, uh, goes down the road and steals the only lamb that a poor man has, uh, and that provides the feast. And David is incensed. He doesn't realize, of course, that it's a parable, and he's the guilty man. And David reacts, and what does he say? That, uh, he says, the man that has done this thing shall restore fourfold. That was in line with Scripture. But a guilty conscience will always judge another sinner more harshly than God. Because David didn't stop there. He will restore fourfold, and he shall surely die because he's done that thing. God never said that a thief who stole a lamb or a sheep should die. But David did. And how must David have felt when Nathan says, Thou art the man. David has passed the death sentence upon himself. And David, to his credit, says, I have sinned. And as soon as he confesses his sin, and you, you read 2 Samuel 12, as soon as he confesses his sin, Nathan, what does Nathan say? Beautiful words. The Lord hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not surely die. David couldn't undo his adultery. He couldn't bring back Uriah from the dead. He could do nothing to reverse the consequences of his sin. But on the basis of his penitential confession, Nathan, speaking for God, says, The Lord hath put away thy sin. Of course, the Lord could only put away David's sin justly on the basis of his future sacrifice upon Calvary. Uh, and what did David do to have his sin forgiven? He couldn't do anything. Couldn't bring Uriah back from the dead. And yet, Psalm 32, uh, he says, Blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sin is covered. Uh, the natural man finds uh, salvation. Uh, Pastor has made this point many times. Uh, too difficult, too simple to accept. Uh, the human nature must do something in order to be just before God. But the hymn is right, which says, Nothing in my hands I bring. But, but one final thought, uh, and uh, it's on the second side of, of the sheet. Uh, a Jew, uh, a Jew uh, would ask the question, and Paul deals with it in verse 9. A Jew would say, Well, look, Paul, God made a covenant with Abraham. Uh, a covenant that through him all nations of the earth would be blessed. But uh, we Jews can only be beneficiaries of that covenant if we are circumcised. Abraham was circumcised as a sign of the covenant that God had made with him. Uh, and you, you will remember, of course, that this became uh, an issue in the book of Acts, in the New Testament. Paul and Silas go on their first missionary journey and they come back to Jerusalem to report and instead of them being welcomed with open arms, 
many, uh, many Jews uh, uh, who are keeping the law of Moses, they contend with Paul and Silas because they say, look, Paul and Silas, you are Gentile converts, can't really be truly saved because they haven't been circumcised, because they don't keep the law, they don't observe the dietary laws. And Paul deals with this argument in a devastating fashion uh, in verse uh, 9 on. And, and it shows the importance, incidentally, of reading through the Bible consecutively. You'll see why in a moment. Paul asks the question, does God justify, that's what he means by this blessedness, God, he's speaking to Jews, remember, does God justify Jews only because they are circumcised? He said, let's come back to Abraham. And he asks the question, uh, in verse 10, uh, verse 9, he says, we say faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? In other words, when Abraham believed God, that he looked at the stars and he took God at his word, uh, and in fact, uh, it might be worth emphasizing in verse 19 that Abraham thought, faith isn't irrational, Abraham thought, well, as far as my body is concerned, and childbearing, uh, Sarah, Sarah's body and mine might as well be dead. There's no hope, he said, uh, he thought to himself, of this body of mine at 100 years old being capable of procreating. There's no way Sarah's body at the age of 90 is capable of childbearing. I can't trust in myself to produce a child. I can't trust in Sarah to produce a child. All I have is the God of creation who has said, so shall your seed be. If I if I don't put my trust in him, I have nothing else, no one else to trust in. And Abraham, he used his mind, uh, faith isn't anti-intellectual, faith isn't against reasoning. Abraham looked at outward circumstances and said, there's nothing in any outward circumstances that can fulfill the word of God. The power of God and the God of power alone can bring that promise to pass. And I believe in him. But when he was justified, he, Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God and his faith was counted to him for righteousness. And Paul asks the question, uh, and maybe you can answer the question. Genesis 15, verse 6, was, Paul, was Abraham, sorry, circumcised in Genesis chapter 15? And the answer is no. A Jew couldn't argue with Paul. Abraham was justified before God uh, at least 13 years before he was circumcised. If you want the proof, it's on side two of the sheet uh, in column two. Uh, I put the chapters in red. In, verse, in chapter 16, the next chapter, Ishmael is born. And then there's a 13-year gap. Because in chapter 17 and verse 24, it says, Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised. And verse 25, Ishmael was 13 years old when he was circumcised. So there's at least 13 years between chapter 15 when Abram was justified by faith and when Abraham 
was circumcised. You don't need to be a mathematician. You just, just look at those verses. Chapter 15, verse 6. He believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And then in the next chapter, uh, uh, verse uh, 16, uh, Ishmael is born, and then there's 13 years silence. And in chapter 17, at the age of 13, Ishmael is circumcised, and Abraham is circumcised the same day as Ishmael. What could the Jews say to that? Abraham was justified in the sight of God. He was as righteous in God's sight as he ever could be. And he was justified as an uncircumcised man. And Paul later in Galatians says, as far as God is concerned, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything but faith which worketh by love. In fact, he says it twice in Galatians. He says, neither circumcision or uncircumcision availeth anything but a new creation. You see, circumcision, circumcision only touched the external part of the body. The problem is not in the external part of the body. The problem is in the heart, the inner man, the inner woman, uh, and uh, the Lord Jesus uh, said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So you see Paul's uh, use uh, of Scripture. Uh, uh, I said, read through the Bible consecutively because Paul's argument here is a consecutive argument. Chapter 15, he's justified on the basis of his faith. He took God at his word. And then chapter 17, at least 13 years later, then he is circumcised. He was circumcised as an act of obedience because God commanded it. But he wasn't any more justified in chapter 17 than he was in chapter 15. Uh, and there's a hymn, we have sung it here occasionally, uh, it's got a verse. Uh, uh, I think it's a hymn that, uh, that, that starts, I am not skilled to understand uh, what God has willed, what God has planned. And there's a verse in that hymn that says, I take him at his word uh, and read. Uh, uh, indeed, Christ died for sinners, this I read, and in my heart I find the need of him to be my saviour. And there may be somebody listening online who is uh, as sinful as that sinful woman we read of in Luke chapter 7. Uh, she couldn't undo the past, but because she came to the saviour, uh, uh, weeping over her sin, and because of her faith, the Lord Jesus said, thy sins are forgiven, go in peace. And of course, chapter 5, verse 1 of Romans says that being justified uh, by faith, just putting our trust in the fact that God says his son died for my sins and for your sins uh, and paid the debt in full, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot more in that, but next week uh, we'll go on to chapter 9. The two chapters that, uh, in Romans that have most quotations from the Old Testament are chapter 3. We didn't look at that in detail, but they're there on side 1 and chapter 9. Uh, and chapter 9, I know, maybe not in this church, but in many other churches, it's a contentious chapter. First, I don't think it's contentious, but uh, we look at chapter 9, uh, and maybe the following week, chapter 10, and then, and we'll see how far uh, we get. Thank you, Pastor. <coughs> if anyone hasn't had a sheet, and uh, 
uh, you want to take one home, let me know I'll, and I, 